Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Apparently, we're working towards June 21st. We now have a date of release. What I find funny about that is that everyone seemed stoked to hear that it was June 21st. And I was like, am I the only imbecile that thought it was going to be March? March 18th. (laughs) March 18th for my, right, on time for my 30th birthday. Did you see the memes that were like, BJ, you saucy minx, and his birthday is the 19th of June? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god that's so funny i saw all these like really good memes of just girls standing in the club with guys screaming in their ear being like feels weird to be out of lockdown huh <laughs> which is literally <laughs> going to be the pickup line of every single male i do feel bad for men because if i had to be the instigator i would be so much worse the instigator of conversations yeah like if i had to go and hit on people in order to make relationships happen I would be pulling the old, feels weird to be out, huh? <laughs> like, you've seen me when I get awkward. Yeah. I just lean on weird things. I'd start talking about, like, Marie Antoinette or something. Even um on Bumble, how women make the first move. I'm like, that's a great premise, but I don't want to do that. Nothing's a good opening line, really. And if it's too good, it's embarrassing. The winning move for me with this current relationship was, what star sign are you? <laughs> Did you know that? Really? Yeah. But I said Pisces, and he's a Gemini, which, like, Why would you ever lead with what star sign are you if you're a Gemini? This means nothing to me. (laughs) Oh, they're notoriously the worst star signs. The the symbol is two-faced because they're supposed to be two-faced. But actually, when you look into it in more depth, people say that they have split personalities and are bipolar, but it's actually just that they, I don't know, are multifaceted or something. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like there's nothing else I want to talk about except for the fact that I'm a fitness freak now. It's the only thing on my mind. The funny thing is, is that when you're a fitness freak, all you want to talk about is being a fitness freak and you want to kind of, you literally, that's why these cult communities start because as soon as you get obsessed with it, all you want to do is talk to other people who are also obsessed with it and talk about all of the insane things that no one else wants to speak about. And it's the most boring subject as well. I mean, it could be three minutes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Go. Well, I don't know. Long time listeners will maybe be across the fact that I'm a very exercise-averse person. And I've discovered Joe Wicks, who is, I think, to fitness what Jamie Oliver is to cooking. Like I've told two or three people, I've discovered this guy, his name's Joe Wicks, and everyone's like, yeah, he's extremely famous. I'd never heard of him. Where's he from? He's English. He's really good looking. I think that's why mm. his his female fan base is like very active. Yeah, I went on his Instagram after you told me about him and can confirm. Good looking man. All these girls have changed their bio to like Talia Lean in 15 is their new username because that's his like program. That's like um Kayla Itzine's BBG community. It's like Sarah BBG. Madness. That's going to be me in two months. <laughs> 
<laughs> my carefully curated feed's going to be full of like berry oatmeal and me doing lunges. And then in six months' time, you'll do a. I never thought I would be a person to share a before and after <laughs> photo like this. I <laughs> always thought I would be too embarrassed, but with this progress. If the last six months has taught me anything, it's to be vulnerable and love myself. <laughs> Yeah, I know. But I I had this realization when I did my first, I don't even know how I found it, just the power of advertising. In Shepherd's Bush, where I sometimes go for a walk, there's the biggest billboard of Joe Wicks and it just over time penetrated my brain. And I was like, fine, 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 fine. I'll do it. (laughs) Yeah. And then I did it and I am having so much fun because I literally thought when people said that exercise is good for your mental health, they were lying or they were pretending that that's why they did it (laughs) because I just thought everyone exercises because they want to be ripped and skinny and I don't want to play into that because I'm like a feminist. (laughs) That's also especially damning of you to admit because I've constantly said over the course of our five-year friendship that I exercise for my mental health. You were like, you fucking liar. Yeah. It reminds me of being in primary school and doing PE class. It's just kind of fun. I know you're obsessed with Joe, but you should do that random German influencer girl that I found on YouTube, Pamela Reef, because she does full dance class hit workouts. Cute. We should do one together once we're allowed. June 21st won't be us at the clubs. It'll be us, us doing Joe Wicks together. Collab with Pamela Reef, <laughs> like DJ Max of all their songs. We'll have like a Spotify playlist. Well, some exciting news happened today. Mm-hmm. Margaret Zhang, who is a Sydney girl, just got made the editor-in-chief of Vogue China. She's 27 years old. It's really amazing. So I'm sure everyone who's listening is across Margaret because she's such a massive fixture in the Australian fashion scene for the last decade. And it's craziness, madness in the best way possible. I love her her post this morning. I woke up to it and it's just this really chic photo of her with her gorgeous blue hair and she was just like stoked to announce. <laughs> yeah, she was like, I'm stoked to announce that I'm the editor-in-chief of Vogue China and I was like, this is insane. Yeah. I think the first reaction was this is wild and then the more we've been thinking about it, I guess the more we feel like it's actually a very kind of groundbreaking transitional moment for the publishing industry that this has happened. It's actually quite a big deal it just shows i guess that these publications are willing to change with the times and when i first saw it i was like i guess we were both talking about it and we were like well the thing with someone like margaret Zhang or bloggers or influencers she's an influencer but she's also a kind of creative strategist she's really 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 clever and talented and forward thinking and these women especially have created their own businesses built their own brands from the grounds up cultivated their own relationships with these huge fashion houses worked really really hard to get to the position they're at working at fashion magazines the way it traditionally goes is someone will be uh, an editor and a journalist and a writer there for years and years and slowly work their way up for decades like 20 something years at the same magazine and then they become editor-in-chief that way just literally because of the hierarchy so it's really really cool to see that they're now breaking away from the mold to try something completely different and get someone young and fresh and new obviously there is so much to be said for having the decades of editorial experience and this isn't to say that that's somehow irrelevant because now all you need is to have a big digital following. I think it's about seeing the nuance in the fact that an editor-in-chief's role is largely to be a kind of tastemaker who is pulling together the best talent across writing, styling, design, photography, fashion, unearthing new talent. Increasingly, the job is like coming up with digital concepts and digital strategy and rolling out this kind of integrated 360 product. And really, that is what influencers of a certain caliber have been doing this whole time. So I think that this is like recognizing the value in that work. I think all old media like publishing was guilty of writing off bloggers, undermining bloggers, making bloggers seem vacuous, not appreciating their work. There was, I think, a drama with 
American Vogue maybe two or three years ago where two editors had written a piece for the website about Fashion Week and about the kind of peacocking street style situation and kind of, I don't know if you'd say mocking it, maybe deriding it a bit. And then big influences like Susie Lau and Brian Boy came out and critiqued that critique. And I think there has been this kind of tension between quote unquote old media and new media for so many years and this really is the first time that you've seen the old guard embrace the new guard and the new guard embrace the old guard it's kind of they're stronger together kind of thing I think it's really cool me too and I think it proves that magazines are realizing how important it is to be it's like Vogue and these institutions used to be where people would go to learn about trends and to learn about what's cool and to learn about who they should know and what they should be doing. And then as we've now got social media and everything moves so, so, so fast, it would be such a huge change of pace Mm. for editors to now be like, well, this thing that was popular last week might not be popular next week because of how fast the trends are moving and how much fast fashion has to do with that and how much Instagram has to do with that. So they're probably realizing now that It's so important to have someone that's like ingrained in that. And I also think there's something to be said for the more time you spend online and the more savvy you are about what works online, the better equipped you are to have a sense of what the value of a print product is. Like I felt like that for so long where I think there were some magazines in Australia that were kind of more youth-focused titles like Clio and that kind of thing that all closed quite quickly about five or six years ago. And I remember seeing the physical copies and they kind of, they were all things that belonged on the internet. It was almost as if the magazines were trying to keep up with the pace of the internet in the magazine pages rather than saying, Mm. okay, we have a website that we can build out just internet-based stuff for. What is the point of a magazine that you pay for? And I think the reason that fashion magazines have kind of weathered the storm of that digital print thing is because there is so much value in a print product for fashion because it's beautiful and glossy and so much effort and thought and time goes into the creation of the images and they just do look so much better in person than they do on a screen. But having someone that has a really good understanding of what should and can belong online versus what should and can belong in print will be really interesting to watch. Mm. I'm not saying that she is better equipped to do it than someone whose background is in print. It'll just be interesting to see, like, how that plays out. Yeah, so interesting. Also, side note, my friend Ash messaged me the other day and said that a girl, Lauren, who I know from high school, listened to our episode about ADHD, figured that that was her, went to a doctor, got diagnosed, got treatment, and now it's changed her life. And me and you, who both have self-diagnosed ourselves, spend every day like not being able to focus on a fucking thing and wishing our lives were different, still haven't done anything about it. It's like the ADHD is stopping us from fixing the ADHD because we keep getting distracted (laughs) on the path to fixing the ADHD. Literally. I have all these things on my list that I need to do. My left eye that went bung a year ago in Sweden when I went to that Greta Thunberg thing. A dark time. A dark, dark time when I literally was blind. It started (laughs) playing up again. And the other day I was watching a film with one eye, like a faux eye patch across my eye because it was so sore. And then I was like, I have to call an eye specialist and just haven't. And literally if I close one eye, the other one is blurry. Yeah. And you can go to the doctor, but in my head you just can't it's impossible I don't even know how to (laughs) I finally watched Malcolm and Marie I was so excited to watch it before it came out then I was put off by the criticisms then your kind of semi-positive slash neutral feedback of it made me give it a go and I liked it but literally was just like this film could be so much better like if it as you said focused on their relationship so much more so the whole thing was like them fighting but half of it was just about his stupid film and critics and all this art stuff that no one really cares about and no one can relate to and also wasn't as smart as it obviously thought it was 
you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When if they just focused it on the fact that she's obviously way younger than him, they reference in it that she was an addict, mm-hmm. that he's obviously really, really rich. The kind of power dynamics, the class dynamics, the age dynamics. It would have been so good and such a better watch. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought too. I thought it should have gone deeper on stuff that it touched the surface of and then it went deep on things that were <laughs> so boring. Yeah, like no one outside of LA cares about any of this film critique stuff. We just had the vibe of a writer who's really hung up about something that other people can see quite simply. Yeah. He was obviously just annoyed at a review that he got, so he kind of wrote a whole movie about him being annoyed about a bad review where it was like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Me and you soon. That'll be our next thing, writing a feature film about our negative podcast reviews. (laughs) I've been watching Search Party, which is – I'm pretty sure Jordan Firstman writes on it. Ah. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure. It's it's Alia Shawkat, who I've talked about in the pod before, who I just love. She was maybe in Arrested Development and has blossomed into a fucking legend. And she's the one that everyone thought Brad Pitt was dating, but he was dating the thotty model instead, of course. A huge missed opportunity on Brad Pitt's part, like – massively yeah so she produced search party it's annoying because i want to tell you the whole of season one because that will make you want to watch it and then there's seasons two three and four but obviously i can't spoil it but it's about a group of friends but it's mainly about a girl who a kind of casual acquaintance she didn't really know from college goes missing and she just gets really obsessive about figuring out where she is and what's happened to her and chases down all these leads and it's really really funny and it's quite self-aware. It's, it's that thing we would all do where if something happened to someone we barely knew at school, <laughs> something dramatic happened to them, we just jump on it and be like, my friend is missing. She's missing. Okay. <laughs> Even me, I'm like, um, Margaret Zane got made editor-in-chief. And I was like, um, my friend got made editor-in-chief of Vogue China. And my then I was best like, friend. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, okay, you literally know her because you sat beside her at a Paris Fashion Week show last year and you guys chatted and talked for a bit and sent your friend a selfie because you're mutual friends with her and that's as far as it goes. I was like, please put that selfie on your Instagram stories and be like, congrats to this one. Congrats, darling. (laughs) Congrats, babe. Can't wait to catch up in real life for a martini to celebrate this. I was like, I don't know her. But yeah, it's really, it's really, really funny. It's really funny. Search party. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I can't wait to be able to watch something other than um, yeah, intense documentaries about the state of the world <laughs> and, and Syria. Syria. Yeah, it's very fun and it's really easy watch. And it's one of those shows where apparently the fourth season, which has just come out, is amazing and it kind of gets better and better. So I'm midway through season two and I love it. So good. I'm excited to watch that. Wait, what's it on? Uh, I don't know. I think it's HBO, so it's on... A dodgy website I found on the internet. streaming (laughs) uTorrent. Yeah, nice. And then I read, I actually meant to recommend this last week but forgot, but it's really good read. The Hollywood Reporter did a profile on Shelley Duvall. Have you seen The Shining? No, too scary. Okay, well, Shelley Duvall is the mum from The Shining who is always screaming and the famous story is that Jack Nicholson and Stanley Kubrick actually kind of tortured her on the set because they believed it was the best way to get the performance was for it to be really authentic. That's so naughty. He's the same guy that was, like, fucking with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman for real in that movie, and then they got a divorce straight after. Yeah, he's super naughty. And he didn't fuck with Jack Nicholson. They would hang out and get a beer and be friends, and Jack Nicholson was just having a fun time, and they, they Shelley Duvall nearly had a mental breakdown on the set. They ruined her life. Oh, my God. So she was, like, a big thing in the 70s. I think she was married to... Paul Simon or dated Paul Simon and then she kind of disappeared and then three or four years ago Dr. Phil hunted her down and found her in this small town and did this nasty interview that made her look really unhinged and crazy like he just kind of rocked up on her doorstep cut it together in this really bad way I do think she she has mental illness issues but he made it look like this kind of freak show. Like, remember this hot woman from the 70s? Look at her now. Oh, my God. And it was really gross, and he got really criticised for it. So The Hollywood Reporter have gone and interviewed her years later to get a more kind of wholesome, nuanced depiction of her, 
And it turns out she's just really, really cool. She did all these projects behind the scenes for years that loads of people don't even know about. She created this groundbreaking TV series for kids in the 80s where, like, Tim Burton and Francis Ford Coppola would direct episodes and Mick Jagger and David Bowie would be in episodes. And it was this super cool, surrealist, really well-made TV show for kids and she was the showrunner and ran the whole thing. And I just feel like with every single woman that's been a massive Hollywood star, when you dig a little bit deeper on them, they're always so fucking interesting and just no one cares. Yeah, and heaps of the ones who you saw in one movie and then didn't go anywhere else. There's reasons for it. Like, even not just actors and actresses, but singers and stuff. Like, even JoJo. We make jokes about JoJo. But I found out that her record label had her locked in this crazy deal so she couldn't make another... She could not make another album after Get Out and all of those songs went crazy for, like, a decade. And Kesha... And all of these other actresses who then you you find out that they were, like, sexually assaulted by Weinstein and blacklisted or something. Yeah, like, Sean Young, who was in Blade Runner, was so beautiful and so talented and obviously so set to become famous. And then I looked up why she never became a thing, thinking, oh, maybe she just wasn't that good an actress, really. And it turned out she accused, it wasn't Ridley Scott, she accused a director of sexually harassing her on set and then, like, never worked again in the 80s. Naughty. Horrible, yeah. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So we have been listening to Reply All's really good podcast on the toxic culture at Bon Appetit, which is the food magazine that came under fire last year during BLM. And the editor-in-chief who had been there for 10 years at the time, Adam Rappaport, had to resign because of it. So it was massive. They were one of the biggest companies that were brought down for yeah having like really racist and really toxic and horrible workplace cultures so reply all was doing this podcast on it and we were planning on talking about it on the pod but we were like oh we'll just wait for a few more episodes to come out before we talk about it so that we have more intel into what actually went down meanwhile the actual host of this podcast which they called the test kitchen sreethi pinamanani and she's a longtime senior reporter um, and PJ Vogt, who's Reply All's founding co-host, were both accused in a, tr- in a Twitter thread of contributing to a toxic dynamic at Gimlet near identical to the one at Bon Appetit. It's madness. madness. So they were creating a podcast about a toxic media company that made its employees of colour feel undervalued and excluded. And then as it was going to air, midway through it being uploaded, staff members from Gimlet were saying we think this is a really important story that needs to be told but not by these two hosts because they fostered the exact same (laughs) atmosphere where we work and I think the drama that happened there happened during Black Lives Matter as well because it was about unionizing to make sure members of color could ensure equal pay. They had created a union years ago I think this is what I got from it and Eric Eddings, a guy who used to work there, I don't think he works there anymore, said that they had created this union and they were trying to get the bosses at Gimlet to change their practices and enforce all these different things to make sure people of color were valued for their work. And basically what happened was Reply All had become this click in 
in Gimlet Media where um, they wanted to kind of be seen as superior and separate from the rest of the company because they were the ones that were the biggest podcast, the most successful podcast. And so these two people, Pinamanani and Vogt, are like two incredibly influential people in the company. And basically when they found out that this union was being created, they tried to stop it. And not only that, they worked aggressively against it. So Srithi personally held an anti-union meeting trying to rally people against it, which is so wild. And then she, so she's the one that's the host of this Test Kitchen podcast, getting all of these people who used to work at Bon Appetit on to speak about the horrible experiences and the horrible ways they were overlooked and discriminated against when she did the same thing. I got that vibe from her listening to it. Right. I did. I don't know why. She just sounded a bit sus. She sounded guilty when she was talking about it. <laughs> she did. Did you not think that? I need to listen back to it. I yeah. missed that. But when yeah. she was talking about it, she was she kind of said something where she was like, right at the very beginning, she said, you know, I'm an Indian American. I think she was she's born in India and then moved to America and assimilated really well. You can tell from my accent. And then she said something like, I'm ashamed to say I, I haven't been, I hadn't been the greatest ally or something, which is, which is excusable because obviously none of us have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that's, it's excusable to not be the greatest ally, but to literally hold meetings yeah. to stop this stuff from happening is like a bit further than that it's quite crazy and the reason we're not saying allegedly on this is because both the people involved have stepped down and issued apologies confirming that account so i guess now because it seems like the test kitchen will be put on hold (laughs) for a while we can maybe talk about that pod yeah um because i don't think there'll be a third episode i mean maybe they'll bring it back but might not be for a bit so what did you make of it? It really, it still is. I don't know whether to recommend it to people, but it it really is like a very good listen. It'll be funny for people listening to it now, though, hearing her mm-hmm. interviewing people. So naughty. Oh, and also this guy, Eddie Eddings, who did the huge Twitter thread about it and outed them. He said that before he published the tweet thread, Sreethi had sent him an email not an apology, but she wanted to chat on the phone. And he's been told that why she wanted to chat on the phone was because she wanted him to talk on the series. Oh, wow. Like she, like that unself-aware. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so the podcast is really interesting because it goes into how Condé Nast wanted to rebrand Bon Appetit in 2010. So they brought Adam Rappaport over from GQ. So he was the editor-in-chief of GQ because they wanted to make Bon Appetit cool and sexy and just rebrand it completely to make it this like really chic food publication, which wasn't really a thing at the time. So he hired a bunch of really cool people, brought people over from GQ, made it all about who you know. It's like that Devil Wears Prada thing where you have to watch what you wear when you go for the job interviews when it was like a food magazine yeah and the first cover it would always be kind of food shots and in the main it was food shots but the first cover he did was Gwyneth Paltrow in this like tight Hervé Leger blue thing eating a bowl of pasta so the idea was kind of like as you said sexing it up what they called in the test kitchen podcast the original sin of Adam Rappaport's tenure was the fact that many of the people who worked there and the majority who went there for white, but it was mainly that he himself didn't have a food background. He had a style background. So what was really informing a lot of his decisions was what he as a white, straight, wealthy, waspy male thought style and luxury looked like rather than a person with a really fantastic understanding of the culture of food, which naturally lends itself because food culture is culture. It's black culture. It's Latino culture. It's Asian culture. It's like so many other things. He had none of that kind of background or understanding. And that obviously penetrated like every single decision he made as editor in chief. Even just literally not being from a food background. Exactly. Like you said, you wouldn't understand all of these different things. You wouldn't even understand the missteps you were making really. Like, He's not excused from the way he behaved staff by any breath. He was let go because um, an image came out of him doing brown face and the way they treated people of color there. So the test kitchen didn't even get to that episode yet, but basically 
they were called out during BLM because black staff members and people who worked in the test kitchen weren't being paid to film the videos that white staff members were being paid for. Mm. It got really bad. In New York and worldwide, the fashion industry where Adam Rappaport was used to working is dominated by thin, white, wealthy people. Mm. So your life experience matches the industry that you're trying to excel in. And then if he's going now into the food industry where that just isn't the case and he's bringing that perspective into it. Because they're asking him to as well. I'm not excuse. It sounds like we're excusing him, but I'm not at all. I think he's a dirtbag. No, no, no. He shouldn't have been hired and he should have had more wherewithal and self-awareness when he was hired, but it's just a like example of institutional failure on something that just comes from like that casual racist mindlessness Mm, of not putting in effort which is much more like insidious and more difficult to like beat out and you hear that in this podcast I think it's such an amazing example of this concept of microaggressions and more subtle racism that white people find it harder to acknowledge in themselves because you can hear the people in the podcast the people of color who worked there struggling to properly articulate what the problems were because they were so subtly grossly done that there was a girl who was saying who was vietnamese i think who had put forward a recipe basically the hierarchy was you're in the test kitchen making recipes for the editors to taste and if you have recipes yourself which most people did because they were all very talented cooks and chefs your goal was to move out of the test kitchen into a full-time staff position writing the recipes yourself. But what would happen was the people of colour that worked in the test kitchen would stay there for years and new white upstarts would be in the test kitchen for five minutes and promoted and promoted and promoted above them over and over again, people like Alison Roman Mm -hmm. being the best example. But employees talked about, you know, I pitched a story for soup dumplings and it's a really important recipe to me. It's something that me and my family worked on together. And they said no. And then six months after I left, a white author had a really similar recipe published. And as they're talking, they're like, I know it doesn't sound like a big deal, but then they end up crying about it because if that's your life, that is a really big deal. Yeah. And it is pretty obvious what's happened. And if you have dozens of people saying the exact same thing, then it's this really gross weird, horrible thing where any Asian and Middle Eastern and Latino or Mexican dishes are more palatable, seen as more palatable by the editors when they're made by white staff members. It's so gross. It's being so lazy. It's being like, it's like when magazines say we put white people on the cover because we've looked at the data and white people sell more covers. And then these people at Bon Appetit or whatever are being like, we're making white people make these dishes because they're more accessible to white people if other white people see white people making them. It's like, just change the fucking way it's done. Just don't do that because it's bad. Yeah, and it's like your audience is at the moment only white people because you're only creating content for other white people, yeah, which is yeah. white. Like, it's your fault that you have the audience that you have because you've courted them as being the only people that you're advertising to. I think as well what the podcast touched on, I'd kind of thought about it in terms of growing up in New Zealand and being part Māori and like what that meant for me growing up and how my identity was shaped by it and the ways that I tried to distance myself from my heritage and all of these things during BLM but it's funny I think so many people and that's what she talked about at the start of the podcast so many people are reassessing things that they used to think were okay in the wake of BLM so so many people who are coming on this podcast are like it wasn't until BLM that I started really assessing it's like me too Mm -hmm. with women being like oh I just brushed off that guy who pressured me into drinking more who pressured me into having sex when I didn't want to have sex I just said it was you know I was too drunk and it was my fault and then you reassess it later I think that's happening a lot now and even just it was so interesting hearing people who worked with for example Alison Roman and one of the one of the women who talked she's a black woman she was really good friends with Alison Roman because Alison Roman was really nice to her and they really got along and they're and they're still friends now and she was saying it's really hard to talk badly about her but yeah, this woman had been in the kitchen for a year longer than Alison. Alison comes in and makes these recipes and gets a full-time job. And it's hard hearing people talk about it because they're like, the thing is, she is a good cook. She like she does deserve a job, but 
so do we. And it's them kind of coming to terms with all of these ways that it's been brushed aside and the way that they've brushed it aside themselves and kind of excused it in their own heads and trying to reevaluate that. Like it's such a hard thing to do because at the same time, part of you would still be thinking, well, maybe it was just that she was better than me. Yeah, and that's what happens. It's any sort of toxic workplace culture. I think you see this happen where if you're being constantly pushed back on, a pay rise or a title change or a promotion or the workplace culture feels a bit off, you can always rationalise yourself Mm. out of it because these things never are. If they were really simple, easy, black and white abuses of power or awful things happening day to day, I'm not saying that that's easier. I just think that at least you can put your name on it and put a name on it and kind of see what's happening and call it what it is. Whereas often with workplace power dynamics, they are really subtle and they do kind of go up and down and back and forth and they do change constantly. And it can be really, really hard to put your finger on what the thing is that's making you feel uncomfortable or unsafe or excluded or overlooked. They're not these big, obvious, easy to define things are these quiet, subtle things that chip away at you or chip away at your confidence or make you call into question your talent or your skills because all these things aren't objective. Your boss can say she's better than you and that's why she got the promotion and you can't really argue because how that's measured is up to them. Yeah, that even very perfectly segues into our next topic, which is FKA Twigs and Margaret Qualley supporting FKA Twigs. So Margaret Qualley, if anyone doesn't know, she was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and she was dating Shia LaBeouf when FKA Twigs filed her lawsuit against him, alleging physical and emotional and psychological and sexual abuse, the whole fucking shebang. And Margaret Qualley kind of famously was photographed kissing Shia a week after these allegations came out, before it was made public that she'd broken up with them, I think, a week later. So Margaret posted on Instagram the cover shot of FK Twigs's LUS interview and cover shoot because FK Twigs talked in depth about the assault again in that, and Margaret captioned it simply, thank you. And then there were all these people in the comments saying, why did you wait so long? Or you stayed with them after the allegations came out and just having a go at her for waiting uh, like a month before showing her solidarity publicly to FKA Twigs, which is just insane. Yeah, this like speaks to a trend that I've seen on the social media recently, and I don't like it, where (laughs) (laughs) – stop it, you naughty boys and girls who do this – but where people are like flooding usually women's comment sections or DMing them, telling them they – need to or are obligated to speak out if they're victims of sexual assault they need to speak out about sexual assaults to other women when they happen or like this with margaret qualley um why didn't you speak out about this sooner like if you've publicly you know said i was assaulted and then someone else is assaulted they're like asking for your take on it yeah or saying why haven't you spoken out about this and i just think that the insensitivity of that is flabbergasting to me surely your first reaction is oh this person might be having a particularly difficult time today having seen this thing discovered like seeing this thing covered I hope they're okay as opposed to having a go we're obviously speaking about a specific situation here, but I I feel like this is something that happens and it's obviously what's happened with Margaret Qualley where people are bombarding her saying why don't you speak out about this sooner, with absolutely no empathy for what it would be like to be with your current boyfriend when a woman that you probably really respect, who's a great artist of our generation, comes out and accuses him of horrific, horrendous, terrifying abuse. The emotional impact it would take to talk to him about it, to figure out how you feel, to question a lot of behaviour that's happened in that relationship, to break up with him, to deal with the fallout of breaking up with him, to figure out how you feel in the aftermath. All of that would be so, so difficult to do, to say nothing of the added pressure and expectation that is she ever going to work again now that she's with him? Is she going to be fired from jobs? Is she going to speak out about this? All of this pressure from the public. I just don't understand how we're in this culture that supposedly has all of this 
respect for women who are survivors or victims of abuse and yet extends so little like patience or empathy to women when they're actively in that situation. I just find it insane. I know. And even um, if K Twigs went on Gail King and I mean, Gail King asked her in a roundabout, very much knowing what she was asking way, but she still asked why she stayed and Twigs had the best answer. And I think we just have to stop asking that question. I know that you're asking it like out of love, but like I'm just going to make a stance and say that I'm not going to answer that question anymore because the question should really be to the abuser, why are you holding someone hostage with abuse? You know, and people say, oh, it can't have been that bad because else she would have left. And it's like, no, it's because it was that bad. I couldn't leave. And it kind of goes back to what we were saying before about Gimlet Media, where it's so easy to excuse behavior when it's oftentimes not physical bruises and cuts and things you can show people on your body. It's a very similar situation where you can talk yourself out of it and excuse the behavior for so much longer. And that's why I find Twigs's story and her being so brave and open so important because it literally is showing so many different sides of abuse and showing so many women that it doesn't matter how powerful how powerful you are god i think i'm a little bit drunk how powerful you are that these things can these things can happen mm. so i am stoked that margaret Qualley did that i'm stoked she broke up Same. with him and that she's all these women are banding together it's just amazing love it i love it love love okay let's quickly rip through the last few semi-fun stories first one is how insane the golden globes are everyone should just read the article because there are so many elements to it that are insane and fascinating but it's an la times yes deep dive on the history of supposed corruption in the hollywood foreign press association all these scandals going on, people that work within the Hollywood Foreign Press Association whistleblowing about how insane the nominations were and how embarrassed they are, people trying to sue the Hollywood Foreign Press Association for not letting in members that should have been let in because they like just keeping their own little clique club of weird, outdated people and then all of the hilarious perks, which we already kind of knew about. (laughs) What was the thing I read? Like one of them's like 99 and is legally deaf and blind. <laughs> I'm not, I'm like literally not kidding. Yeah. it's but, but the whole thing is just a circus. It's It's literally these 80 like quite random people are picking the second biggest awards ceremony in the entire entertainment industry every single year. It's like that viral video did you see last week of that parish council meeting in the uk no it was really funny it was just a bunch of like 80 year olds and they're all on zoom and this the secretary her name was jackie weaver she was in control of the zoom and the president was this old angry man and he was being really rude to her so she just kicked him out of the meeting and she just kept kicking out his like the replacements of the chairman if they weren't being respectful and polite to her (laughs) and she went viral but that's what the hollywood foreign press sounds like it's just kind of a a weird insular kind of bureaucratic group that feel like they'd be better suited to a school fate or something that are picking (laughs) golden clothes what i find funny about this is how they thought that Nominating Emily in Paris to the LA Times article uncovered that the reason Emily in Paris, or a very good indication that the reason Emily in Paris was nominated for not one, but two Golden Globes, is because they flew 30 Hollywood Foreign Press journalists to France and put them up in a 1,400 US dollar. I've stayed at that hotel. Per night hotel. How how lush is it? It's amazing. It's the nicest place I've ever stayed. It's called the Peninsula. So that they could visit the show set during filming. One whistleblower said they treated us like kings and queens. But it's like so wild to me that they thought they were going to get away with that. And everyone was going to be like, oh, Emily in Paris makes sense. Like just, just that never makes sense. It's also hilarious because Paramount Pictures paid for all of this because the show was originally going to be theirs. But then it went to Netflix. Oh, my God. And also... 
there was obviously a huge backlash that I May Destroy You, Michaela Cole's incredible series wasn't nominated. And then it was, I mean, not that it this should even excuse it, but then it came out that not one out of the 87 members is black. Oh, my God. I just don't get how they've gotten away with it for so long. Yeah. It's obscene that more people don't know this about them. I don't know how they've ever been given the authority to make these decisions. And then that, like you said in your piece that you wrote for Vogue, it's sad because there are a lot of really amazing films and TV shows that got nominated that do Mm -hmm. deserve to be spotlit and do deserve to be supported and do deserve to win these awards. Like Small Acts, absolutely incredible. The Trial of the Chicago 7, really great. Promising Young Woman, Mm -hmm. amazing. And none of these shows, even The Crown was really great. Emma Corrin's performance is insane. And even all these people getting nominated are not going to be able to go to the ceremony without, or like win these awards without the sour taste in their mouths. This whole thing has undermined the value of anyone that's like ever won a Golden Globe. I know that sounds dramatic, but um, it's like this big scheme that everyone's been involved in where everyone in Hollywood obviously knew that there was like not much prestige to the body that did this voting but obviously it was in their best interest to just pretend there was because you could play the game and now we've all been fooled into watching movies and doing things and thinking golden globe nominations mean anything ricky gervais actually said in 2016 at the golden globes when he was hosting that they are worthless and a bit of metal that some nice old confused journalist wants to give you in person so they can meet you and have a selfie with you. Yeah, Ricky Gervais, I don't know why they keep hiring him over and over again. I actually really appreciate his monologues. He's He's really funny, but he rips them to shreds every single time. They obviously just love it. It's like the roast of Snoop Dogg or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that was big news this week, but that we already knew about... um, is that Kim Kardashian West and Kanye West are officially getting divorced. As I said, I'm quite sad about it, but you actually found something quite interesting. Yeah, I found this great TikTok. Not on TikTok, I found it on Instagram. But it was this woman, I think she's a lawyer, and she was explaining why she thinks that the timing of the divorce announcement happened when it did, and it all has to do with Christiana being a genius, manoeuvring... Kim's finances around, so we're going to play that here because she'll explain it better than I can. So if I were a type of very involved mother, like someone who would write in her memoir that she plans her children's lives like they are chess pieces, and I knew that a giant class action was coming in a few days, but my poor daughter wasn't 100% sure she was ready to cut the cord with her baby daddy. But I also knew that under California law, the date of separation is really important because after that date, each spouse is responsible for their own earnings and debts, but also that lawyers fight all the time over the date of separation because one party might want to extend that date to cover more credit card debts. Well, let's say I had an in with the media. I might just make sure that it is printed that my daughter is indeed separated before those class actions come. But that's just what I would do if I were playing chess. Yeah, so good. Chris is literally, she's a genius. A true genius. Like, look at what she's created. She's so smart. I don't know why she just doesn't stop working now. It's wild. Like, my friend's company is working with Khloe Kardashian. She's one of their ambassadors. And... My friend who lives in LA was doing the meetings and Chris was just in every single meeting completely across everything that's going on. Imagine being that for how many children are there? Like six children or whatever. Mm. And knowing every single tiny detail that goes on down to the point that you know that one of them is going to lose a bunch of money if this doesn't leak like a week early. It's so impressive. It really is. The work ethic is unparalleled. I can say for one Mm -hmm. that if I had 1% of that woman's wealth, I would stop working forever. Oh, of course. I think that we actually do have pretty good work ethics, but I don't understand people that make money and then keep working really hard. Me either. Like money, money. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that much money. If If I had the wealth of Kim Kardashian, I would be like, out of here. Like, wipe my hands of this. I'm calling this a day. I would have been out of here in 2013. I'm so excited to watch the final season of Keeping Up With The Kardashians. They always pull it out of the bag. They really do. A Kardashian divorce for the final season. It's literally performance art. Like, the fact that they've done all of these peaks and troughs in their own personal lives to match the seasons. Like, there's never been double ups and stuff. Everything has been so perfectly executed and now we're going to finish. The final season will be Kim and Kanye getting divorced. You couldn't write it better if you were writing it in a writer's room. I know. Geniuses, all of them. 
Maybe it will end with Courtney and... Oh, they've already filmed it, hey? No, the trailer came out the other day and Scott Disick goes to Courtney, I would marry you right now. Ooh. Yeah, it was big news like two days ago. Wow. Just wild. But then, yeah, now he's dating a 19-year-old, of course, and she's dating the Blink-182 guy. I wanted to end with her marrying the Blink-182 guy. I wanted to end with her marrying Scott. And I wanted to end with Chloe throwing Tristan Thompson's big diamond ring in a fucking garbage bin. Wait, are they engaged? It might end with them getting married. No. It was rumored that they were engaged, but they're not. But she put up that photo with a giant... <laughs> yeah, it was rumoured they're engaged because she put up a photo with a huge diamond ring on her left finger, but apparently they're not. I was like, that's really chaotic if you're not engaged to put that on your finger. Yeah, but she probably is going to promote like a product the next day and it'll just have got her algorithm engagement up really high. Oh, yeah, it was. she was doing it for jeans, for a pair of jeans. Oh, Still chaotic. Chaotic or just shameless. But imagine if we were promoting the pod with huge diamonds on our fingers. Our boyfriends would be like, can you not? Imagine if we pretended that I'd gotten engaged to try and get lots of listens on an episode. I mean, it wouldn't work because no one cares. But that, that's so sad and weird to do. Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.